Following a hospitalization for heart failure, about one in five patients will be re-hospitalized within 30 days, and more than half will be re-hospitalized within a year. Each re-hospitalization event increases a patient's risk for mortality by up to 30%. Hello and welcome to CV Deep Dive. In this podcast, we discuss various aspects of cardiovascular disease management and feature key insights from leading medical experts. I'm your host, Dennis Steele. In this episode, we'll be focusing on timely issues in heart failure management. In the studio with me today is Ava Parker. She recently spoke with several heart failure experts, and today she'll be sharing some insights on heart failure hospitalization. To learn more about this topic, Ava spoke with Dr. Javed Butler. Dr. Butler is a professor of physiology and the Patrick H. Lahan Professor and Chairman of the Department of Medicine at the University of Mississippi. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is especially important as hospitalization for heart failure is an important issue, given that it is a pivotal event in the lives of patients with heart failure. And as Dr. Butler explains, it imposes a significant burden on systems of care in the United States. There are about a million hospitalizations each year where heart failure is the primary discharge diagnosis. There are two million additional hospitalizations where heart failure is a contributory or secondary diagnosis as well. So a lot of hospitalizations occur. But I think one of the biggest uh, ways in which the healthcare system gets affected is that now we have this Medicare penalty for high readmission rate for uh, recurrent hospitalizations. Uh, and these patients are at a particularly higher risk for recurrent hospitalizations. Wow, those numbers are staggering. They are, and heart failure hospitalizations have major prognostic significance for patients. Two studies that followed patients in the Get With the Guidelines Heart Failure Registry found that about 36% of patients died within one year, and about 75% of patients died within five years of a heart failure hospitalization. As Dr. Butler explains, due to their prognostic importance, hospitalizations can be considered a biomarker of the disease trajectory. I mean, it's proven by solid data over and over and over again that heart failure hospitalization marks completely a different trajectory of disease, and these patients are at a very high risk. Something fundamental changes uh, in the trajectory of the natural history of the disease once people get hospitalized. So their quality of life, functional capacity, how they feel, all of that sort of starts draining down unless and until we take all the actions we have to put the trajectory where it was prior to hospitalization and stabilize them. One would think that the consequences of hospitalization would motivate a pressing urgency to treat, but unfortunately, this isn't always the case. When it comes to heart failure, somehow in our mind, there's a little bit of a gap that we have made heart failure into a symptom disease. And as far as the patient does not complain of a lot of symptoms, we just don't treat them very aggressively and we wait for the symptoms to get worse. So we have to go beyond the mindset of making heart failure a symptomatic disease to treating it aggressively like we treat all other cardiovascular diseases. To help illustrate the scope of this problem, Dr. Butler provided an analogy to the treatment of pneumonia. If somebody comes in with pneumonia and the two main complaints are they have cough and they have fever, chills, rigors. 
One way of treating that is to give a cough syrup. The fever goes away, the cough gets better, and one can say, well, I'll discharge you. And if you discharge that patient and that person comes right back into the hospital or dies after discharge, nobody will be surprised because we have not treated the underlying biology of the disease. We need to find out why the person has pneumonia, which antibiotic we need to give, and treat the disease. Now, let's look at heart failure. A person comes in with shortness of breath, you give them diuretics, their symptom gets better, and they go home, and you have not done anything to understand the biology of the disease and change that biology. So obviously, this is an important issue. What can healthcare providers do to optimize care during and after a hospitalization? Dr. Butler described numerous aspects of optimal care, and to review some of these key aspects, we're going to follow a patient throughout a heart failure hospitalization and discharge. Richard is an 86-year-old man. He presented to the hospital after experiencing dyspnea and peripheral edema for four days and was subsequently admitted for acute decompensated heart failure. Initial assessments in patients like Richard should involve identification of factors that may have triggered the decompensation as well as evaluation of hemodynamic status. Well, what are some common triggers of decompensation? Dr. Butler explained that cardiovascular comorbidities can trigger decompensation, as can non-cardiovascular comorbidities. Atrial fibrillation, ischemia, worsening valvular disease, sleep apnea, or depression, or hypothyroidism. Socioeconomic and lifestyle factors can play a role as well. Insurance problems, adherence problems, they stop taking their medications, they uh, are not compliant with their diet and, and uh, fluid and salt uh, uh, restrictions. Identification of these contributing factors can help guide therapeutic decisions and patient education. In the case of Richard, hypertension was identified as a contributing factor and in-hospital therapies included antihypertensive medication. And how is hemodynamic status evaluated? Evaluation of hemodynamic status involves assessment of congestion and perfusion. Most hospitalized patients exhibit signs and symptoms of congestion. Richard, for instance, presented with dyspnea, a symptom of congestion and numerous signs of congestion, including peripheral edema and pleural effusion. Decongestion is a primary goal of care in the hospital setting, as patients who are discharged with congestion are at elevated risk for poor outcomes, and usually involves intravenous diuretic therapy. All right, so once you've performed an initial evaluation and begun therapy to address congestion and triggers of decompensation, what should you do next? Further management of the patient is guided by their response to these in-hospital interventions. The American College of Cardiology released an expert consensus decision pathway to guide management of hospitalized patients. The pathway advises that healthcare providers assess the patient's clinical trajectory throughout a hospitalization. Here's Dr. Butler with more information on what these trajectories can look like. So there are several sort of distinct trajectories that these patients may have. Uh, you may start them on diuretic therapy, and you may take care of their comorbidities or what have you, and they may diurese, and they may feel better, the congestion gets better, and that is sort of one trajectory. The decision pathway refers to this trajectory as improving towards target. 
The second trajectory is that maybe they're getting a little bit better, but really not reaching the goal that you want them to reach. And they've caught kind of stalled and not, not really making the progress. This trajectory is termed initial improvement, then stalled. And then the third is that somebody is just not responding. They're just not going into the direction that you're going to go. Or if anything, uh, they're actually circling down and they're getting worse. This final trajectory is termed not improved or worsening. According to Dr. Butler, trajectory should be assessed frequently in hospitalized patients. We need to do this daily on our rounds, daily in the morning, see which path they are in, and then act accordingly to which path they are on. How do you know if a patient is improving towards target? One key indicator of whether a patient's congestion has improved is natriuretic peptide levels, which should be measured at admission and before discharge. A decrease of at least 30% from admission to discharge is associated with improved outcomes. Here's Dr. Butler on some other indicators he looks for. Somebody who's diuresing, uh, they are responsive to therapy, they don't have rouse, they don't have edema, their JVP is down, they can walk around in the corridor, they're feeling better. So our patient Richard falls into this trajectory. He received diuretic therapy as well as therapies for hypertension and heart failure during his hospitalization, and his symptoms and signs of congestion resolved. His New York Heart Association functional class, an indicator of functional capacity, improved from class 4 to class 2. Oh, that's great. So once patients like Richard start feeling better, is their management complete? No. Dr. Butler explained that while patients on this trajectory appear to be doing okay... Doing okay doesn't mean that they are not at high risk. They are at incredibly high risk but they could be discharged from the hospital in a few days, but you still have to optimize their medical therapy and look for all the other opportunities to improve their care. This touches on a very important point. A hospital admission can serve as an opportunity to optimize guideline-directed medical therapy. Evaluate for all potential opportunities for drug-based therapy, for device-based therapy, for comorbidity therapy. Remember, all you need to do is to make a good plan. You don't need to keep the patient in the hospital for three weeks to implement everything. Even if you do it in the outpatient setting, that's okay. But make the plan, make sure whatever is missing, you do it that. Having said that, there is a substantial literature out there that the best place to start the medication is in the hospital when a person is stable. In one study, patients who started or continued a renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system antagonist in the hospital generally had similar clinical outcomes. However, compared with patients who continued therapy, patients who discontinued or did not start had at least a 50% greater risk of 30-day mortality. What about patients in the other two trajectories? How should they be managed? Optimization of guideline-directed medical therapies should be attempted in patients in all three clinical trajectories. Patients in the second trajectory, initial improvement then stalled, may also require uptitration of diuretics, further diagnostic testing and investigation of comorbidities, or invasive hemodynamic testing. Here's Dr. Butler again. And so here, there are a couple of questions. Is that the clinical care that we are providing because of which the person is not progressing, or is it the patient factor? So the clinical care is maybe you're not giving enough diuretics. Maybe we need to double the dose of diuretic, use a different diuretic, use combination diuretics, something like that. You just need to get a little bit more aggressive. 
Maybe look at some comorbidity, which is really worse, that is, that is stopping you from getting the heart failure trajectory to, to improve. But then there may be other patient factors. Maybe uh, they're in low cardiac output state. Maybe they need a right heart catheterization. Maybe they need some more advanced therapies. Maybe they need uh, a heart failure specialist team be called in and not just be treated on the hospitalist floor. Maybe they need to be moved in the, in the ICU. In patients who are not improved or worsening, healthcare providers should also consider advanced therapies and palliative care. These are the patients who are most likely requiring advanced therapies, uh, hemodynamic monitoring. Some of the patients may have such bad renal function, they may need dialysis. Some people may need evaluation for transplant and LVAD. Uh, frankly, some of the patients may have conditions or other situations by which advanced therapies are not eligible and we need to start thinking about palliative care and those kind of uh, issues. So now that we've learned about the three main in-hospital trajectories, let's get back to our patient, Richard. Once a patient like Richard is stable and has been evaluated for optimization of guideline-directed medical therapy, how should you prepare for discharge? First, discharge should be preceded by a period of transition during which the patient is observed to be stable on oral diuretic therapy for at least 24 hours. This transition period also allows for further optimization of guideline-directed medical therapy, final trajectory assessment, and multidisciplinary discharge planning. Make sort of a bulletproof transitions of care plan where because we now live in a healthcare system where the inpatient uh, doctors, nurses, providers tend to be different than the outpatient ones, that there is a good handoff of what was done in the hospital, what needs to be done, what to watch out for, and work on those transitions of care. In order to facilitate communication at discharge, the expert consensus decision pathway provides checklists and a template discharge handoff form. What types of information are included in these documents? The discharge handoff form contains information about the patient's condition, current therapies and plans for post-discharge optimization, and follow-up visits and providers. The checklist can assist in delivering patient and family education and in communicating with outpatient providers. As Dr. Butler explains, post-discharge follow-up should include a phone call and an outpatient clinic visit. You know, if you look at sort of the guidelines, the general recommendation is that everybody should get a phone call, say, about 48 hours, 72 hours after the, the, the discharge. Uh, remember, uh, there's a lot of things we do at the time of discharge, which is in an artificial environment. When they go home, they may exercise differently, they may eat differently, so their diuretic doses may be different. In the hospital, we make sure we go, go and give them the medication. In the outpatient, maybe they forgot to take the medication, they didn't refill the medication. So there's a lot that changes that a 72-hour, 48-hour phone call helps. And then a follow-up visit in one to two weeks to make sure you know everything is going in the right direction. The expert consensus decision pathway provides checklists to guide each of these follow-up conversations. And with that, we've concluded our journey through a heart failure hospitalization. Ava, what are some of your key takeaways? Today, we learned that a hospitalization is a pivotal event in the lives of patients with heart failure that significantly increases their risk for mortality and readmission. A hospitalization should therefore be viewed as an opportunity to not only stabilize the patient, but also to reevaluate and optimize the plan of care. Here's Dr. Butler's key takeaway for us. My biggest thing is 
heart failure is not only a symptom disease. I don't want to say it's not a symptom disease. Of course, if somebody is short of breath, tired, fatigue, whatever, that is the patient's number one concern, and we have to address this. But we have to go beyond that. We have to think about heart failure like any other disease, coronary disease, hypertension, diabetes. We treat the underlying biology. Heart failure is the same. So one, treat the underlying biology, optimize therapy. Two, please realize the high risk that these patients are when they get hospitalized. So do everything in the outpatient to avoid hospitalization in the first place. Once they do get hospitalized, please realize these patients are at extraordinarily high risk. Do everything we possibly can to change the trajectory of the disease. Well, that'll about wrap it up. Thank you for listening to CV Deep Dive. I'm Dennis Steele. And I'm Ava Parker. And we hope you'll join us again. This podcast was sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, and the speakers were compensated for their time. The statements in this podcast reflect the medical expertise and opinions of the presenters. (music) 